Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church this morning. We're glad that you are here. Uh, If you got your Bibles, let's jump into the Word this morning. I got a three-hour message to condense in four hours, so we'll... (laughs) Just okay. All right, well, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 22, just kind of where we picked off last week. I want to just lay a quick foundation for it again and then jump into some things again that we had the Lord was revealing to us. So let's just pray and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us. Holy Spirit, we again just invite you into this place to have free and full reign to do what you do best, which is impact our lives for your kingdom. Father, that we turn more and more like Jesus. That's our heart's goal. That's the motive of your word. That's why we're here, sir, is to see Jesus clearly, to see him not just what we think he may be like, not what other people talk about, but what you said through your word. Jesus, we're hungry for you, and we thank you so much, Holy Spirit, that you are here to enlighten and reveal Jesus to us right where we're sitting today in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke 22, verse 20 here, this is again, pick it up a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, the communion time. And Jesus was, uh, of course, having the last supper, this communion with his disciples. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, now this is the part that we're really focusing on, what did Jesus actually do? This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. So what is the cup? What does the wine represent? A new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for who? For us. So another way of saying it is that Jesus purchased a new way for me, for you, for us to connect with God. That's what he was passionate about. That's why he came to come. You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, I believe in there, it says that Jesus actually came. I didn't come just to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. That's the whole premise behind why Jesus came to do, because he knew that we couldn't do what the law demanded of us. There's no way any natural human being could ever fulfill what the law requirement was on our part. So Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God, and I'm presenting my blood, I'm presenting my body as a sacrifice to finish the old system and bring in the new. Now, as a believer, I want to understand how Not just talk about the what Jesus did. Yeah, thank God. But how do I live now in this dispensation, this new way, this new agreement that Jesus provided with us? I don't know about you, but I'd be so frustrated to continually live in the old system or constantly live life ignorant of what Jesus actually provided. I don't want to go to heaven and say, that Christian stuff, I didn't get any of it. It just got confusing. You know what makes Christianity confusing? Religion. Religion blows, it puts rules, it puts regulations, it puts, you have to attain a certain way. No, 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 no. The focus of this new dispensation is Jesus, what he did on your and my behalf, and my belief in it. And therefore, I believe in it doesn't just mean, oh, I believe in that. I actually start to live out what I believe. That's where we're going to see the change take place. Now, in Hebrews chapter 8, again, I want you to see this. But what Jesus did in this new agreement, he has not just only given us permission to come to him, but he's given us full access to God Almighty, the creator of the universe, God himself, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory the Bible talks about. He has given you and I permission and access to enter the most holy of holies without a stained soul. It's amazing. It's wonderful. So I want to ask you, how is your connection today? Are you connected? Are you operating in the right spot? 
And that's what we want to get into. And Hebrews chapter 8, you see it beautifully here. I think really you see the Father's passion. You see his heart. You see everything that the Father had from before the foundation of the world. You see what he had in mind all along. Now, this is what God says. This is the mirror paraphrase Bible. And it says it like this. Knowing me will no longer be a Sunday school lesson or something taught by persuasive words of doctrine. Neither will they know me on account of family tradition Kind of even what Jamie was saying this morning, well, this is what my family does, so I guess I just continue the tradition on. It's, it's bigger than that. Thank God for good family traditions and what, how the houses that we grew up in. Thank God for all those things. But that's not good enough. God wants to be your God. He's not the God of Abraham and all of his descendants. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joel, and Jamie, and Jace, and Max, and London, and Brooks. He's their God as well. And that's what I think is so wonderful about this. No, he also says, a family tradition, or door-to-door evangelism. There's nothing wrong going door-to-door. He's just saying you're not going to be stuck by having to wait for somebody to come to your door. Oh, somebody, please come to my door and talk to me about the Lord. He says everyone from the most unlikely to the most prominent people in society will know me inwardly. Continuing on, verse 12. It says, this knowledge of me will never again be based on sin consciousness, My act of mercy extended in Christ as the new covenant has removed every possible definition of sin from memory. That's what all took place. So our relationship with not God is not based on, oh man, but I did things in the past. His goal was to wipe that completely slate, that slate completely clean on your end. So verse 13, he says, by coming up with this new plan, call say with me, new plan. So there's a new plan in the mix. There's a new plan in the earth, a a new covenant between God and his people. God put the old plan on the shelf, and there it stays collecting dust. So don't dust it off and try to bring it back and say, this is how I connect with God. He's not going to work with that covenant anymore. It's done deal. Jesus fulfilled it. He finished it. So you and I have to learn now how to operate in the new way so we can connect with God properly. Religion loves to dust off the old stuff and put you back in the middle of it and saying, if you do, then God can. Listen, this new covenant is so much better because, again, the old covenant puts you in the middle of it. Religion has put us in the way again and again and again, depending on my behavior and how I'm acting is determined if God will bless me or not. This new covenant is about Jesus, how good he is, how perfect he is, that he was the sinless, spotless lamb who took on my sin so that me, I didn't know a thing about righteousness. I was given his righteousness. Now I stand before God and I can have full access to him, not based on anything I've done, but simply based on who Jesus is and what his precious blood has done for me. So all our response is, thank you, thank you, thank you, and enjoy on this earth the benefits of what the blood has purchased for us. Amen. Now, what happened here, I want to just take a little bit of a, a theologian was writing some of these things out, but I want to read this to you from Hebrews chapter 8, verses uh, 11 through 13 there. It says, God's memory of our sin was not what needed to be addressed in the redemption of innocence. God did not have a problem with sin consciousness. We did. Right? Okay. God wasn't hiding from Adam and Eve in the garden. They were hiding from him. What needed to be addressed were our perspe- uh, perceptions of a judgmental God. 
God doesn't demand a sacrifice. He provides the sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice for sins would never be something we did or brought to God or to appeal to him. Instead, what we see as a shocking scandal of the cross is in fact to mankind, we are confronted with the extravagant and embarrassing proportions of the love of their maker. He would go to the most ridiculous extreme to finally convince us of his heart towards us. In order to persuade us of our worth to him, it was said of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This completely disarms religion. What you see even through the Apostle Paul in his writings constantly, he talking to the Galatian church, and he actually said, I preach the gospel to you to the point where the Holy Spirit actually showed you a picture of Jesus on the cross as if you were actually there. Now that's the whole point of what the whole, that's what our message from the church should be, is to continually point Jesus to that, or people to that cross, and of what Jesus did. Because when you see what Jesus did, How can I go back and see that? It's a spiritual reality. The Lord can bring that reality to you where you actually can see the stripes on his back. You can see his body that's been pierced and go, he did that for me. Anybody ever come in an encounter with that ever before? Where you saw, you didn't see with these eyes, but you saw him hanging there and you saw his love being spilled and poured out going, this is for you. What happened to your heart? It melts you. And what do you do? Jesus, I want you as my Lord and Savior. I want you. I accept that sacrifice. Come into my heart. Here's my life. Okay. So, what is the new deal? Anybody know what the new deal is? What's the new agreement? Scripture? All right. Good thing we're reviewing then. Ephesians chapter 1. If I have to ask this every week, I'll ask it. Because, again, one of the things that gets so tricky is, as Christians, we kind of, we, we know stuff. Oh, yeah, that's, oh, I know that. But you actually, where, where in the word do you know it? Because the devil likes to use half-truths and use those against you. So if I'm able to find from Scripture, if I got Scripture to speak from and to boldly declare that when the enemy tries to come against me or when the world tries to say something contrary, I have verse, I got place I can stand on and say, no, right here, it is written. Right? That's how we fight. Not with just some thought that, you know, my family told me about. No, no, no. What does the word say? Well, this is what some pastor says. No, 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 no. That doesn't, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. What does the Word say? The Word has to be our final authority. I have to have Scripture and verse. I can go, well, at my church at Impact, this is what we say. No! That means nothing in the spiritual realm unless it's backed by the Word of God. So Ephesians chapter 1, 5 through 7 reveals to you and I the new agreement that God purchased with His Son. So here it is. It was always in His, talking about the Father's perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. Why? Why was it his plan? Why did he want to do this? Uh, Through our, uh, our union with Jesus, the anointed one. Again, why? So that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love the father has for his beloved one, Jesus, He has for Joel. Religion has a hard time with that. Can you say that this morning just freely? The Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus. 
Ooh. Ooh, I don't, I don't know. I, I've been pretty nasty this morning. I didn't get my oatmeal this morning. I'm not a real happy camper. That doesn't change eternal truth. You not getting oatmeal this morning isn't going to change God's mind on you. <laughs> so even when I'm all of a sudden and I'm, I'm stuck and I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, I have to go back to this reality. The Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus. And what religion likes to do, when you're acting properly. What grace is saying, no, you do this beforehand, afterhand, all throughout your days. Why? Because again, we awake unto righteousness and sin not. Religion likes to say sin not so that you can awake unto righteousness. That's totally opposite. That's what religion likes wants you to start thinking is that you got to be better, you got to act better, you got to look better, you got to smell better for crying out loud before you get anywhere with God. Grace says you already are right with him since you received him as your Lord and Savior. That knowledge, when it gets pierced into your soul, <gasps> I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Some of those things that you've been struggling with, those little dark hidden secrets that are in the corner that nobody else knows about, those start to fall off you. Why? When you awake to who you are in Christ Jesus. So this is what all grace is. It's about an identity. I'm no longer identifying with what I used to do. I'm not longer identifying with the struggles that I may be having. Hi, I'm Joel Housing. I'm an alcoholic. That's not what I identify with. I'm a child of the Most High God who loves me. I am now just as much loved like Jesus is. That's who I am. And so what this whole new dispensation is, really it's a swapping of identities that's taking place. If you look in the world today, what is the biggest struggle that the world is facing? It's an identity crisis. People try to put things in race. They try to put things in sexuality. They try to put things in problems in, you know, left or right or government or politics. They're trying to put you in these categories when, in fact, none of that stuff really matters. What matters? I belong to Jesus. And so my opinions don't matter. What matters? What does he say about political issues? What does he say about gender? That's it. And so as a Christian, I can't go, well, well, you know, whatever. It's just so hard to figure out. Just read your Bible. It's simple. That's what God did. He makes things simple. Religion and really the world complicate things to a whole nother level. That's not my message, but we'll continue on. <clears throat> now, look at this again. So that his tremendous love that cascades over us would nullify his, would glorify his grace for the same love that he has for the beloved one, Jesus, he has for me. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. What gives pleasure to God is as this unfolding plan, his depth of love towards you, as it gets revealed from glory to glory, as you see it and go deeper in it, he gets excited about it. Because that's the whole reason why you exist on this earth, is so that you could experience the love of God. Verse 7. So since we are now joined to Christ, anybody joined to Christ? How do you do that? By the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We have been given. Say it. I have been given. Not one day going to get. I got it now. What have I been given? The treasures of redemption by his blood. And a major part of this is the total cancellation of my sin. It's gone. There's no slate. There's not a little, you know, have you read the fine print? There's not even fine print of what you used to do. It's gone. 
of who you were. It's gone. There is no fine print for it anymore. The total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. So the emphasis or this new, the dispensation that we're living in is the cascading of his riches of grace towards us. So since is the new way, since this is how God is connecting with the world, this is how God is connecting to me, I have got to learn to adjust to how this system operates so that I can experience all that grace came and purchased for me. Anybody interested in that? Like, I don't know about you, but I don't like playing church. Just come and just do churchy things and we do, yeah, we sing and we dance and we do stuff and it's like, okay, we know how to do church, but do you know how to do life? Because it's like we got our Sunday clothes on and we look real good in front of everybody. We can Manolo all day. And all of a sudden Monday morning comes along. And all of a sudden we start talking totally contrary to what we're shouting about on Sunday. That's two-faced. That don't work. So what do we need to do? We have to get to this word so it becomes bigger than just a Sunday thing. It becomes my way of life. It becomes my way of thinking. It becomes my way of, you know, reacting to whatever comes my way, whatever darkness may come, troubles or trials that come my way. I start acting and talking like the Bible is true. Calm down, Joel. Just relax. Now, what do I do? How do I live? And it begins with here, going to be simple for you, but this is where we're going to begin. I have to develop a relationship, an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Well, I've heard that before. Good. You're going to hear it again and again and again because he's here. He's the part of the Godhead that's on this earth. So we ought to get to know him. And if you read through the book of Acts, the church that, that was launched in the book of Acts, they talked about the Holy Spirit regularly. They could define, listen, they could even hear, they knew the difference between the voice of an angel and the voice of the Spirit of God. They could tell the difference. Can we? Can we tell this, even this another one, can we tell the difference between the conviction of the Spirit of God and the condemnation of the enemy? Can you tell the difference? Some. But if you can't, that's, that's where we have to spend some time to get to know him because he doesn't speak condemnation. That's not in his vocabulary. It's like me, again, when we went to Mexico a couple, couple weeks ago, we were there in the end of March. Uh, they thought I was from Mexico or somewhere Spanish. So they would come talk to me and they'd start going, Espanol, and then I would go, por favor. And then they would catch me speaking Canadian and they'd go, ah, oh, you just, no, you're not from here. I, I don't know how to speak the language. But uh, ocho, and quince quesos compre aquí que... For those of you that are going to Mexico soon, that's 15 cheeses for Enrique, I think. <laughs> if it's not and there's something in there that's wrong, I apologize. I didn't mean it. But that's what, was, that's what I learned. <laughs> so again, the same way the Holy Spirit doesn't know how to speak condemnation. He doesn't speak shame. He doesn't speak you suck. He doesn't know that language. Right? What does he do? He will always bring you and I to focus on Jesus. And you'll say, yeah, that's maybe what you're doing. But look, that's not you anymore. Look at what Jesus did for you. He will always bring your eyes up to who you are in Christ Jesus rather than, oh, you in the dark corner. I told you you keep doing that. You better smart up. That is religion talking. And you have to make sure that you don't have, rather than the Holy Spirit teaching you, you don't want a substitute called religion to teach you how to do this life, how to have relationship with God, because that substitute will wreck it. You want the teacher. Okay. So John 14, 26. 
What I love about the Holy Spirit, again, why is he here? Why was he sent? Jesus said, but the helper, the amplified, it amplifies it. Calling the Holy Spirit, not only helper, but the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, again, look at these brackets, in my place, to represent me and to act on my behalf, the Holy Spirit will teach you what? All things. And he will help you remember everything I told you. Aren't you thankful for that? So that's good news for the people that are saying, I have a really bad memory. Well, that's why you got the Spirit of God. He's going to bring back to your remembrance everything Jesus said. So we have got to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because first of all, again, he lives on the inside of us. But he is our guide into this new dispensation or this new deal, this new covenant that Jesus established for us. What was it under the Old Testament? What was the the teacher? The laws. Right? They pulled out the Big Ten, but there were 613 laws that was kind of the law or the, the teacher, the guide to help you understand what was right and what was wrong. And how did that work out? It led to death. Right? Actually, the Second Corinthians 3 actually talks about that. That ministry was the ministry of condemnation. What is it? Was it, was it wrong? Was the law evil? No, the law was pure and right. But it was only to a degree because it was given to sinful men. That's why it wasn't working. It's because we, we suck without them. If I could put it in terms like that. Sorry if that offends you, but that's the truth. I can say it a little bit politically correct. Uh, you just aren't that good without the Holy Spirit, if that makes you feel better. But now you and I have been given the Holy Spirit because he lives inside of us and because the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of grace go hand in hand. You will never find the Holy Spirit working apart from grace. Every time you see grace in operation, no, it's the Spirit of God administrating it, right? Because again, who is grace? Is grace a teaching? Is grace a subject in the Bible? Grace is a person, right? John chapter 1 tells us that uh, Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. So when you have Jesus, Jesus here is revealing the grace, and out of grace comes truth. And thank God he didn't say, figure it out. He said, now you have the Holy Spirit who's going to teach you everything in this new dispensation. He's going to show you it all. He's going to reveal it all to you so that you don't go back to this old law of religion and try bringing that back into your life because it does not work. The Holy Spirit is not ministering the law. He's ministering the grace of God. So we have to learn how he works. Are we okay this morning? Is this making sense? Okay. Thank you for yelling at me. And why do I need to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Philippians 1 verse 6. I don't have this on the screen. But the Apostle Paul says, I am convinced of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue the perfect and complete work until the day of Jesus Christ. So if he started it, he has to finish it. And how is he going to finish it? By the grace of God. Okay. Now, everybody okay? Now, I want you to go to Zechariah with me here for a moment. Because again, in the Old Testament, you, what you get is you get pictures or types and shadows in the Old Testament. The Lord used pictures to reveal who Jesus was, what he would do. And Jesus now in the New Testament is the fulfiller of the old. 
right? All those pictures and shadows, he fulfills it. So here in Zechariah, if you kind of read through all the book of Zechariah, you find one of the, the things that was needed to take place in the nation of Israel is the temple had to be rebuilt, right? There was an actual physical temple that had been destroyed, and they were going to rebuild the temple. Say it with me, rebuild the temple, right? Everybody clear on what that is? That was where the Israelites, the Jews, met with God, and it would be destroyed by their enemies regularly. So now, in the rebuilding of the temple... I want you to see what the Lord spoke to Zechariah or to Zerubbabel here. And I want you to see how God is going to rebuild the temple. So the Lord said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Look at verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? I mean, they're looking about rebuilding this temple, and to them it looked like a, wow, what a task. How on earth are we going to do that? And that's why he said, it's not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power. It's going to be by my spirit. Again, look at this shadow. Look at the types and shadows here. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Or the Amplified says, you will be, uh, what's that right word again? You will be insignificant. So, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts, saying what? Grace, grace to it. So how is God in the Old Testament going to build this temple? Well, no, first go back to verse 6. Not by might, not by my power, but it's going to be by my spirit. Right? And I want you to see that the spirit of God and the grace of God work hand in hand. So they built the Old Testament, which was a natural building that needed to take place. Well, now you and I are living in the New Testament. And what is the temple of God? It's us. You and I are the temple, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We are the temple of the living God. So how is my life going to be built up? How is my life going to shake all that dust? How is it going to look just like Jesus? Because I can look right now and go, man, I need a lot of work. And so right away, our natural mind goes to this old system and says, I have to start doing something. I got to read more. I got to pray more. And all those things are great. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But if you're looking for self-effort alone, you're going to be very frustrated as a Christian. So how are we? The temple of the living God going to be built up, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Come on, y'all, this is good news this morning. You're, you're not stuck trying to figure stuff out. I got to be better. I got to look better. I got to do all these things a lot better. Stop. It's the Spirit of God. As a yielded life to Him, a submitted life to Him, He's got access now to take some of that stuff just right out. And right away, we start thinking, well, I'm, we're talking about like some sins, some really dark, bad sins. I'm talking about even just a bad attitude. I've met a lot of Christians. I go, for real? You, you're as mean as H, E, double hockey stick. And like, what is wrong with you? Well, I'm a Christian. I, I would have no idea otherwise. Well, how can you say that? Your attitude stinks. It sure does. My parents used to say that a lot. You got to dance until your attitude changes. Man, I hated hearing that. I tell you, that was like a, 
Oh, it's like basically telling your wife to take a chill pill when she's freaking out. Woo, that don't go well either. Anybody ever try that before? Oh, well, you, hey, come on now. Yeah, well, yeah, I did too. Did it work out okay? You're still sitting together, so it's good. But I remember saying that to Jamie. I said, you need a chill pill. And so I actually like, I pretend I said, oh. And then, you know what she did? No, no, no. It gets better. You know what she did? I went, oh! Lord, the woman you gave me, I don't understand. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And we are happily married for almost 15 years. <laughs> so I threw the chill pill bottle out. I don't know if you've done that yet, but my, my chill pill bottle, I threw those out in the toilet. Those, don't, those do not work. But it's the same way as kids. We would just wake up and like, whatever, right? We'd be going someplace, <laughs> even if it was on vacation. I remember my dad just saying, I pay too much money for you to have a crappy time down here. You better get happy. You better rejoice. You better get excited. Well, how much more, our Heavenly Father, I pay too much of a price for you to be living on this earth, depressed, downbeaten, acting like a wimp, looking like the world, smelling like him. The blood of Jesus, has it cleansed you or not? <laughs> Yes, God. Yes, God. <laughs> so if you got to dance till your attitude changes, so be it. <laughs> you don't got to wait for a song. You could just start. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Anybody ever do this? And I will bring a sacrifice of praise into the house. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah, my Pentecostal brother said, come on, Amen. Ah, uh, you Pentecostals, you're wild like all of us. I love it. So if it's not by might or power, that means I'm not able to fix anything in me on my own. My efforts apart from the Holy Spirit really is useless. But if it's by my spirit, says the Lord, and I believe because what the Word of God says. So that's saying God is saying that the Holy Spirit is in charge of restoring in me everything that the enemy tore down at the fall of man. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's what he's interested in doing. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Secondly, if it's by my spirit, says the Lord, then the Holy Spirit is in charge of bringing me back to God's original design. <laughs> Aren't you so thankful for that? It's not behavior modification. It literally, it's going, are, are you really that kind? Yeah, and it can be genuine. How? Because the Spirit of God is working inside of you. <laughs> I have that even on the inside. The Lord's been dealing with me about just having a, uh, be, be gentle. A gentler approach to things. <laughs> I guess your testimony time. I just need to be more gentler. But it's not me now striving. I got to be gentle. I got to be gentle. I got to be gentle. Oh, just be gentle. Just be gentle. Just be gentle. Ooh, man, there's times I'm like, ooh, you are pushing on the button that is not gentle right now. So I'd have to like, Lord, in this situation, I'm just yielding myself to you. I need your help. Because so-and-so is ticking me off right now. Help me so I don't hurt them. Whether it's by, I'm talking, no, but even verbally, I, that's, I don't want to be that person. So what do I have to do? A yielded life. Lord, I need help. I believe that is a prayer that we should often be praying. Lord, help me. 
I know that's tough for men when you are looking for directions in your car. Hey, wife, could you help me find Costco? <laughs> I don't need your help. I, I got it. I have a sense to these things. I know exactly where it is. And then you miss the turn off and you're about 20 minutes away. Yeah. Okay. But by my spirit, says the Lord. So every improvement in my life is the work of the Holy Spirit. Areas of my life that I haven't improved yet, I'm not down on because the Holy Spirit isn't done with me yet. So don't get down if you're going, oh, I'm, I missed it. Don't get down on yourself. Just go, Lord, this is an area for you and I to work together on. And I'm asking you for your assistance on this. And that's why he's here. Is to help you so that you don't go back to this law going, thou shalt not, thou shalt be kind, that shall be nice. No, no, I go on, Holy Spirit, you are gentle. Show me how. Because again, he would never ask anything of you that he himself first doesn't do. Now, if you look at again, look at verse 7 here, guys. Uh, Zechariah 4, 7. But this word capstone, um, there it is. And he shall bring forth the capstone. And what is the word capstone? It's the final rock, right? Or the final piece of the puzzle to the temple or to something, right? Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Well, for us, again, going into this new dispensation, up to this point when the final capstone is finished, talking about when this dispensation of grace is done, Jesus comes and gets us for the rapture of the church to that time of capstone when that last piece is going to be finalized on you and I, what are we going to be shouting? Look what I did. Look at the works that I've done. Glory to God. I'm a good man. No. What am I going to be saying? Grace did it. Come on, say it with me. Grace did it. Grace did it. That's all. That's the final words we're going to be able to say. Nobody's going to be able to say, look at how good I am. That's why I'm getting raptured out of here. No. Grace. Grace did everything in my life. Come on, somebody yell, grace. Grace to it. Grace to it. So now how does this restoration take place? First of all, we have to recognize that it's not me. Say with me, it's not me. Now look at your neighbor and say, it's not you. Look at the way and say, it's, it's definitely not you. <laughs> your life is going to start looking like Jesus. It's not you that's going to be making it work. And I want you to see this Proverbs uh, 22 verse 4. Remember, I am not capable to do anything in my own strength. I simply yield or I surrender my life to the Spirit of God. Now, I love this verse. But laying my life down in tender surrender before the Lord brings life, prosperity, and honor as my reward. So I don't look for life, prosperity, and honor. My heart's direction is to look to lay a life down in tender surrender. What does that look like? I am constantly going before the Lord. Lord, show me, teach me by your grace who I am in you, what I can do in you, what I possess in you. I don't know this on my own, so here I am. Teach me, sir. When you come in this humble heart, grace is extended towards you. Right? Have you seen that in the New Testament? What does God do to the proud? He resists the proud. Proud would be able to say, I can make this happen on my own. I can do this. Oh, I can do, of course, I can do all things through Christ. There's truth, but the motivation is off on that because you still stink without him. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's still truth. So, and in him reality, right, because we're caught up in Christ Jesus, one of the truths is you are nothing without him. 
Now, we don't confess that every day, but that ought to be something that's going on regularly in your mind. Because a lot of people just think that they are God's gift to this green earth. Man, you are replaceable. Remember, you are dust, and God realizes that. He recognizes that. But do you? (laughs) The moment I start thinking that I am something, that I is something, that I'm just God's gift to y'all, you better appreciate me a whole lot more. I'm just God's great gift. Do you know how far down that's going to (laughs) hurt? Instead, Lord, I am your servant. I lay down my life in tender surrender before you. How could I be a blessing to people today? That now becomes the flow. (laughs) Okay. We got to stop talking about me. Let's talk about y'all. That's a little bit, it's a little bit easier. All right. Second Corinthians three. Again, how does this restoration begin? It begins with recognizing that you can't do it. (laughs) Okay. It's not real deep or profound, but it is a absolute truth that you have to live by. I cannot do this. And the apostle Paul in second Corinthians three, verse five, he says, "Uh, we don't see ourselves as capable enough. Now stop right there. How do you see you? His first thing is, we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. Well, that sounds pretty weak. No, it's not a place of weakness when it's done in humility and truth. Humility, like this is false humility. I'm just nothing. That's not true either. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm not a loser. I'm just, I'm, that's, that's not it either. There is a proper humility that he says, I don't, I, we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything on our own strength. Why? My true competence flows from God's empowering presence. Can you see that? Okay, going on, verse 6. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. What's the new covenant? Grace. Where's that scripture found? <laughs> Some of you are just hoping that that one smart kid in class just goes, uh, yeah, Ephesians, whatever he said. Yeah, that, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. The dispensation of grace. It's all about the, the cascading riches of his grace. He alone makes us adequate on an entirely new covenant. This covenant called grace found in Ephesians chapter 1. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. Why? The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. Now, don't read those words lightly. The letter of the law, it kills. Anybody ever try using the word as a weapon towards somebody? That's not what it's for. The word of God is sharp and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, but it's not used to cut people down. Anybody ever done that before? Put your hands up. I'm not doing it all on my own. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Remember, this is about you, not me. This is about, okay. (laughs) But you see, that really comes from a place of a religious stronghold going, I got to use this word. I got to show my husband, I got to show my wife what the word says, how she needs us to submit to me. So rather than using the word of God as an uplifter, as an exhortation, as a revealing of truth, you're now using it to say, hey, you ain't doing this. You got to start doing it. (laughs) That doesn't work. (laughs) 
I don't know why I'm laughing. It just doesn't work. So don't do it. <laughs> What's the word of God used for? It's for exhortation, to build up, to comfort, and the spirit of God through conviction going, uh, Proverbs, I think it's 15, that talks about the sweetness of lips increases learning. Because I even find when my children do something that really irritate me, I could use the word, well, the Bible doesn't say that, you're an idiot. That would just hurt them. So instead, the Lord's been even helping me in a gentle tone. The sweetness of my lips increases learning. So now it's coming out of a, a tender, out of a sweet place. And what's going to happen? The recipient's going to go, thank you for that correction. I, I actually am looking for that in my life. Now, if you ain't looking for correction, that's a whole other story. We are people that look for correction. Why? Because I want revelation knowledge to flow. Am I perfect? No. <laughs> I know no. Okay. Uh, where am I? The Holy Spirit pours out life. Okay, you got that? So again, the Holy Spirit's job is to take the finished works of Jesus and reveal it to you. I got a few minutes. I got five minutes left here. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, when someone becomes a, a Christian or someone becomes in Christ, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore and a new life has begun. How can this be? Because our amazing King, King Jesus, is amazing, but He is able to turn a grave into a womb. That's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, is that grave that looked like death, that looked like it was done. He turned that through the power of the Spirit of God. He turned it into a womb where you and I are now going to be birthed out of that tomb. And how do you get birthed out of that tomb? By confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the moment I do that, I become a brand new person inside. I am not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Where did this new life take place? On the inside. Because it says, 1 Corinthians six seventeen, that anyone who joins himself to the Lord, they are one in spirit now. The same way that I know my, our, in my marriage, Jamie and I, our goal is they become one flesh. That's our goal. But hey, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are one in spirit. So just as he is, 1 John tells us, 417, what, am, if, what, is, what is the rest of the verse? As he is, so am I in this earth. As he is where? Right now. So am I. So are you. Say it. As he is, so am I. Do you believe that? That's where it all comes in. And the Spirit of God is now here to reintroduce you to your new self because you're in Jesus. Because I'll go, how, how am I supposed to look like Jesus? The Spirit of God, the author of this beautiful word we have, is now here. This word now becomes a mirror of who Jesus is, but also a mirror of who you are because you're in him. So no longer is this just a book of laws and rules and puts you to sleep at night, which you used to use it for. It now becomes the very word that gives me life, the very word that I look to for identification of who I am. When somebody nasty says something about me, they say, well, they can, whatever they want to say, oh, Lord, that hurts, that hurts. I have to go back to the mirror and go, oh, wait, no, that's not what I look like. That's not who I am. This is my identity. So I want to encourage you, how long have you been looking in, in the mirror? Are we just glancing at it? Because I know, naturally speaking, we are looking in the mirror because you are looking mighty fine this morning. So you must have spent some adequate time in the mirror today, did we not, gentlemen? 
No, did we even look at a mirror this morning, gentlemen? This is an awkward conversation. All right, that's, there's a few hairs that are out of place. But why do we look into the mirror? To make sure that we look presentable, that we're put together to give a description of what we look like. I could ask every single one of you afterward and say, tell me what you look like. And without a mirror in front of you, you could start listing off and saying, this is my hair color, These are, this is my nose size, ears. I, I don't know if you know the exact sizes. I don't know if how you, but this is what it looks like. And I have a five o'clock shadow and blah, 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 blah. You could list it all of these, these descriptions of who you are without looking in a mirror. Now, the Word of God tells us the Word is a mirror, and we have to spend adequate time in front of this mirror to see what we look like on the inside, because how God works is from the inside out. And if we're just doing, you know, quick glances once in a while at it, you are going to forget who you are, and naturally, you're going to go back into the old way of thinking, into the old way of operating, thinking, well, this just must be what it is. Get in the mirror and stay there. Anybody ever see Cool Runnings? It just come into my mind as I'm thinking about it. Remember that one scene where they're, they're, they're in a bar and all of a sudden one guy is getting made fun of, uh, I think it's from Iceland, the Iceland, Iceland team, is that right? The Swiss, the Swiss, the Swiss. So all of a sudden like he walks like the, uh, Ewell Brennan, takes the guy by the hand and he throws him inside there. Now, man, tell me what you see. It's a bad accent. And he just says, I uh, see, you know, whatever. And he says, no, tell me what you see. And he starts listing off all these things. I see this. I see power. And then I'm not going to finish the rest of the line for you. But I see all these things. And it's like you and I have to get into the word of God because God paid too high of a price for us just again to be like, oh, I got my Sunday mirror looking and I'm going to go into Monday defeated and whipped. He says, get your eyes back on the mirror. Tell me what you see. What do I see? I see the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I see a blood-bought, stained, wiped-away, clean righteousness of God individual. I see him whole. I see him well. I see a sound mind. You have to start seeing the word for what it says. This is the separation that's going to take place in how you and I start talking like the victorious church that we are. Let me give you these verses, and then I'll be done. James chapter 1, verse 21. If I skip down a little bit, he says, With a sensitive spirit... Now say with me, sensitive, a yielded spirit. I absorb God's word. What does that mean? Because there's some things in this word that you're going to go, that's, that's hard to believe. The gospel is too good to be true news. So I'm going to have to make a choice. Do I believe this or do I not? He says, with a sensitive spirit, I absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. Or other translations say it has the ability to save your soul. That is the part of you that is getting renewed. That needs saving to this day. You walked in here. Everybody needs a saved soul somewhere. And that soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And what's able to do that? I have to with a sensitive, yielded spirit. Lord, I believe your word. My soul is having a hard time believing that, but Lord, I choose to believe. And you just stick with that long enough and watch the things start to change. The mind is changeable. Verse 22, he says, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. Why? Because that is the essence of self-deception. <laughs> so always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word 
to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning, talking about God's original design for you. So you get a glimpse, you see it. You see that Adam and Eve were crowned with glory. That's just for Adam and Eve. That was for you as well. Crowned with glory. Verse 24, you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and you forgot your divine origin. Why? Because this world is doing everything it can to stick a different mirror in front of you. As long as we, the devil doesn't care, you're going to heaven. As long as he can keep you distracted from knowing who you are in Christ Jesus, your true identity in him, he goes, I win. Simple. Keep watching that stupid news. Keep watching all that stuff that's going along there. Yeah, identify with one of those groups. Yeah, just stay there. He's got us whipped. Verse 25, but those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty, which is the word of God. They are fascinated by and they respond to the truth. They hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessings in all that they do. And the good news is, you've probably heard that many times before, but when you open up the word of God, this is the only book that the author is present when you read it. So as you're spending time reading this word, guess what? The author of this book lives on the inside of you and he'll say, hey, go back to that verse for a sec. And all of a sudden you start reading it, he'll go, hey, that's who I made you to be when you got recreated. <gasps> he loves me. He loves me. And that's called revelation knowledge, which is the knowledge that you and I are supposed to be living at, which is at another level than this natural plane. Natural knowledge is here, but there's a higher truth, a higher knowledge, which is the beautiful written word of God. And the Holy Spirit's job in this dispensation is to make this dispensation of grace come alive to you and I. Amen? Amen. amen. Come on, say it. Amen. amen. What does that mean? It's so be it. And I don't know about you, but I'm part of the so be it union. Anybody else part of <laughs> That was a lame joke. Pastor Julian, come on up here, sir.